even when I was going through physical therapy school, we learned dozens and dozens of orthopedic tests for the shoulder. And that's what we focused on. I went through every single test under the sun for the shoulder to try and diagnose the shoulder joint. I never looked at core stability. I didn't look at hip mobility. I rarely looked at thoracic mobility or cervical mobility. And those are all things that can heavily impact the shoulder. And like I said, shoulder pain, in my experience over the past 20 years, is, tends to be a symptom of bigger causes. So screens are something that you can easily do. Cheesy intro line of three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Lying Down podcast, where I am your host and owner extraordinaire, Corey Craig. Well, today I am honored, blessed, and all of the happy feelings because I have two amazing guests, and we're going to talk about a body part that maybe you don't really know about until you know about it. And that body part is going to be your shoulders. And there is a lot of business that's happened at that shoulder joint. And whether it's like an impingement feeling or every once in a while kind of a pain thing or maybe just a chronic thing, I want to talk about the shoulder and how you can have better solutions, better approaches, better strategies to help the shoulder than what maybe you have been told before in the past. Like when you Google it, you WebMD it, and you're given all these isolated exercises that really don't amount to much and they actually might make you feel worse. So, leading up into that, I need to introduce our two extraordinarily awesome guests. We've got Josh Henkin, creator of the DVRT, and then we have his fabulous wife, PT extraordinaire, Jessica Bento. Thank you, too, for taking time and hanging out with me. Thanks well, for thank having you, Corey. us. Thank you uh, extraordinary guest. I know you're talking about Jessica, so I know how to take that. Was that okay. a plural guests? I meant just guest. I think guest. Yeah, guest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, guest. <laughs> One with the best hair here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, Miss Bento, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This might be your first FLD podcast experience. Maybe second. Hmm. I'm going to have to go back to the archives. Okay. Anyway, but here we are. And so, you know, let's just DVRT. I mean, holy cow, do we get thrown a lot of information about all the different body parts and how we could train them in coordination with one another, how it's not about isolation, it's about integration. And the things, I, it's just amazing. And our clients, I tell you what, our clients are tuned into your social medias. Like I'll hear them talk about, hey, did you see that new post that Josh put out? Did you see that new post that Jessica Bento put out? Did you see that new post that Ultima Sandvik put out? And a lot of it's like, I never thought that that kind of exercise would actually help my shoulder. I mean, that's one of those things that I always feel like I get from them. And then when I talk to people about their shoulders and I've had them on the training floor and I'm going to give them one of those proven exercises, like, I don't see how that's going to help my shoulder, whether that's just like a simple dead bug using the ultimate sandbag. So where's the, how did that come about? Like to be able to have those kind of strategies that buck the system of like traditional shoulder care. Well, I just got to chime in because, uh, you know, I'm a chivalrous, so I'll go first, you know, when the lady goes second, but <laughs> she's not giving a different perspective because we do have different perspectives, right? I'm coming from the fitness and the strength conditioning side where she's coming from more the physical therapy and clinical side. And I know she can also tell about her history with shoulder issues too. But I think, you know, for my part, it was just like, as I learned more about functional training in the late nineties. So like, we like to date ourselves, like that's a long time ago now. You're a dinosaur. You're a dinosaur. Uh, he's yeah, old, he's old. The arms to pop out and I'll do my the role. Josh, the Joshosaurus. Um, you know, there was this talk about connect chains. And so it was this idea of, oh, our muscles don't actually function in isolation. 
there are these chains that occur. And this is in the late 90s that we're you know, having these discussions and research is coming about and we're trying to transform the way the, the fitness industry sort of approaches the body. And I think we were moving forward to that and we started to understand that, hey, my shoulder is part of a system. And that if you look at us as bipedal animals, we're on two feet, we stand up. That's generally how we're made to move and function. Well, my shoulders are above a lot of different parts. <laughs> and what we need to start thinking about is like, when I have a shoulder injury, was it just my shoulder just went for no apparent reason? Like, I mean, hey, like I said, if you get in a car accident and maybe like your shoulder gets bashed in, I get it, right? If you're in a football game and someone tackles you and you land on your shoulder, that might be just like a shoulder issue. But even in those cases, it's like understanding how do we restore that function because what caused the shoulder to be problematic in the first place? And I think there's so many examples where people get stuck. Like we've now gone almost like, you know, the pendulum has swung backwards to now we're going back to, hey, this exercise works the most EMG of a particular uh, shoulder muscle. So this is what we should be doing. We're going to lay on benches. We're going to lay on balls and we're going to work on the shoulder in isolation. So we're going completely backwards. And so the, the proof in the pudding though was working with clients. Right, it was working with people and seeing how transformative. With I would get people that were coming. I've been to physical therapy. I've had surgery, and I'm still having chronic shoulder problems. And if people don't know, the stats on chronic shoulder pain are almost as bad as low back pain. Like most people that end up having shoulder problems past the the three month period, a high percentage of them continue to have problems. I think it's above fifty percent. So it's one of those things, too, that people were not getting better from these exercises, right? Whether the typical, I'm going to do an external rotator exercise, I'm going to, you know, focus on this subscap exercise and, and things like that. So it really was just that. But then it was backed with so much literature that that was the wrong way to train. Like, I think people misunderstand research from the standpoint of just because it shows high EMG doesn't set, doesn't, a lot of these studies don't show it improved function or improved pain outcomes. It just said the muscle was active. That's all it said. But then we have other studies that go, oh, actually, when we look at throwing athletes, for example, there's a whole literature on throwing athletes. There's a high correlation of athlete, throwing athletes that have shoulder pain that also have core stability issues. Well, that's interesting. And they have hip issues, hip stability, hip mobility issues. So that is probably the more interesting part. Like, well, that's connected. Then we get the, the Thomas Myers fascial line stuff that we can talk about too. And then it starts to come about in this puzzle that just makes sense. And then when you apply that and you see the results that you get, because of those clients that weren't getting results other places, now they're like, oh, this is the first time I put my arm overhead pain free. Oh, like I remember we were at a, a certification in Boston. We had a trainer who's like nervous, like, you know, in five years, I haven't pressed overhead because I got the shoulder thing. I can't do overhead. I can't do overhead. And of course, I'm like, listen, if it hurts, don't do it. But when they applied the principles we were talking about, it was the first time she pressed pain free and she did for reps. Right. Right. It's like, oh, I feel strong. I feel stable. I have no problem. So that to me, it means like, well, this stuff works. Right. And and the, when we combine that with what the, the research is leading us to that direction, then it just seems to make so much sense. And I know Jessica can talk for more of her experience and her clinical side of it as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, the tough part is back in school, we were taught, you know, if you have pain in your shoulder, it's a shoulder issue. And we didn't really look outside of the shoulder. We just kind of focused 
on the shoulder itself. And I think the issue is, is that no movement of the shoulder occurs just from the musculature of the shoulder. And Josh had mentioned throwing athletes and things of that nature, but any overhead athlete, throwing athlete, that shoulder motion is a byproduct of the rest of the body. It's not necessarily all coming from the shoulder. So when Josh was talking about EMG activity and things like that, there's very little EMG activity going on in the shoulder when you're looking at those throwing athletes. It's all coming from the ground up, the core, the hips, all of that combined is what's creating that motion. And that's the way we need to train or rehab the shoulder is looking at it at a more integrative approach versus so isolated where we tend to see those individual rotator cuff uh, exercises and things like that, where you're trying to get the maximal muscle contraction. Uh, that's where we kind of go back. I think Josh has mentioned this before from Gary Gray. He always asks the question, is the muscle singing or screaming? EMG activity is, yes, that muscle is screaming. You're getting maximal muscle contraction. But how is it working with the other muscles? That's where we want that singing aspect to come into play is how well is that shoulder muscle or those muscles of the shoulder complex working with the rest of the body? Yeah, no, that's, and, you know, I'm just so grateful for the DVRT experience that we have and how we introduce that to our clients, because it might sound funny, but when somebody comes in, they just say they have a shoulder thing and they don't really have any ins and outs about why the shoulder thing's happening. I kind of start feeling like Smithers, Mr. Smithers from The Simpsons. You know, I just start putting my hands together. I'm like, excellent. Because I know, like, I don't want to say it's an easy fix, but I can get them session one feeling already better. And not just in the gym feeling better. Like, they'll leave and their daily activities will feel a little bit better because we've created that stability. And, you know, Josh mentioned how the shoulders are on top and there's so many things down below. I kind of like think about the shoulder joint, like the tip of the iceberg. You know, that shoulder joint is very small, very shallow. You can't expect a lot of work to happen from there. But then when you look at like the shoulder blade, the lat, you know, we talk about how the importance of the lat, and it just brings to mind right now how Gray Cook would talk about him and uh, Mike Boyle would talk about the joint by joint approach. You know, you see the, the glenohumeral joint there of the shoulder being mobile, but what has to be stable in order for that mobility? And that's that shoulder blade area, that whole big back complex. So when I can start getting people to engage with their feet as well, because it's something I've learned through you guys is that your shoulder thing might be a foot thing. And all of a sudden, if we're doing an overhead press and I can teach them how to press through the floor first, that it's not an arm exercise, it's an everything else exercise. Then you see that I, I just think about all the clients that we've had that have had shoulder issues, haven't pressed overhead. And you see them starting to extend their arm going overhead and they're waiting for that moment. They're just waiting for that moment where it's about to happen. And then it doesn't happen. And all of a sudden, they just go all the way up. And then the expression on their face. Like that's in the fitness industry. I mean, and I imagine in the, the PT clinical industry too, like that's what you're going for is you want to bring that home to clients. You want them to be pain-free. So, I mean, if we can attack that individual muscle, that's not going to do anything. You know, we're just isolating, we're bodybuilding. But if we can actually create that whole linkage, and take away the pain, well, I'm going to be their trainer probably for life. Yeah, oftentimes yeah, no. when it comes, yeah, did you want to? I was, going to just, I was actually going to recommend that just go talk about this. I mean, it says someone like her athletic career ended because of two badly torn rotator cuffs uh, during her swimming career. And so, I mean, I mean, to have someone like her go into the ability to press overhead pain-free and to do a lot of things pain-free, that's great. And I do just want to put an asterisk to that, like, we may not always, and, and I know Corey knows this and Jessica, but just people listening, like we may not be able to get people always pain-free, 
because there may be structural changes, there may be you know disease processes uh, that are occurring as well. But there, there's also a ton of responsibility on the individual to do things outside the gym to maintain these improvements. That you know whether or not they do them, you know, is a big you know will they or won't they? Because again, if they're if they're you know high stress and they're causing inflammation, if they're not eating nutritious foods and they're causing inflammation, or they're sitting in po- bad postures for a long time and causing structural uh, alterations to their movement. These are just a few factors that can increase perceived pain. So that's why I also like, I always encourage people to look at the research. It's not a lot of times in the literature. And before I turn this over to Jess is they'll separate a pain uh, response and a functional response. And what they'll sometimes do is they'll see a functional improvement, but not much change to pain. And that's because I think what we're learning now is that pain is based on so many variables. So for me as a coach, of course, I'd like to, and you've heard, you've heard me say it again, I want to get you better. I don't know if I'll get you fixed, but let's aim for better. Maybe we get you fixed. That'd be great. But I don't want to set that false expectation. But if you're getting better, then you're more apt to do those other things too, that hopefully maintain these things. So I'll, I'll turn over Jessica over that. What are you, what are you turning over to? <laughs> well, just you know your own experience of going through two bad rotator cuff surgeries and are not surgeries, but injuries. And just like how you've been able to come out with it without doing the external rotator cuff stuff as a therapist. Yeah. So um, I injured both my, um, both my shoulders. So they both have torn rotator cuffs in both shoulders and I never had them surgically repaired. So um, going through a lot of what we show through DVRT and a lot of our um, MIM programs and things like that is how I'm able to not have surgery and prolong that as long as possible. Um, obviously I'm still going to have issues or compensations if I try to do certain things and that's okay. Um, I'm not trying to, you know, set records or anything like that. All I'm trying to do is be pain-free and be functional. And that's the main thing that I try to achieve with my patients is to allow them to do everything that they want to do and have as low as pain as possible. Um, for someone like me, I may not be able to set records and pull-ups or push-ups and things like that. I just compensate too much with those injuries. Um, but something like what we show really is going to help people and potentially stop people from having surgeries. What, what I want people to understand really is that oftentimes chronic shoulder pain is really a symptom of something else. Mm. Um, so if you were to look at me right now, I'm having a lot of flare ups in my thoracic spine and my cervical spine, my shoulder actually hurts. I know that it's not my, my shoulder. I know it's my thoracic spine. I know it's my cervical spine that I'm having some issues with right now. So that's one of the reasons why you always have to look beyond just the shoulder, because if someone just evaluated me, I probably have poor strength in my right shoulder right now. I have pain in my shoulder. A lot of provocative tests are going to be positive, but I know for a fact that it's not my shoulder. And I think that's what Josh and I are really trying to get, um, at the heart of is people understanding that oftentimes we need to look outside of the shoulder. Yeah, I just yeah, I fear that's for like autoimmune disease sort of kicking in. So like when she has a, a flare up of her autoimmune issues, that makes it that shows up within the body in different ways. So again, like just was saying, like with all my neck issues that I've had, you know, the surgeries on. If you if you just test my rotator cuff when I was having a lot of my neck issues, my shoulders gonna look like I have a torn rotator cuff. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I had cervical issues going on uh, from my disease process, uh, the degenerative process. So again, it's like when people talk about screens I and mean, maybe we can talk about screening, it's like, you're looking for a pattern and you're looking for like an overall puzzle picture, you know, they're, they're, without imaging and a lot of sophisticated testing. I don't think diagnosing is something that we do responsibly. We just try to find a, 
a, a puzzle to put together and a direction to go to see how much improvement can we go with that and to see are there things that we're missing out on like you're mentioning like the scapula well i mean you you, you and i talk about all the time it's about hands and feet right people look like they have winged scapula until they set their core right whether it's with their feet and their hands or you know get more intentional with the movement all of a sudden the winged scapula goes away so was it really a winged scapula or were you having a core stability issue that you weren't aware of because you weren't setting your body upright when you're performing the exercise? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think this is a great segue into screens because, I mean, let's be honest, as fitness professionals, we should be having our intake form with people, finding out as much as we can. And here at Fitness Line Down, like we pride ourselves on the communication. So I will get clients that come in that'll say, I'm just, I'm a little bit more, I'm not having a good day right? I've got a flare up. I'm having some inflammation. So, you know, we'll kind of discuss that a little bit. We'll find out what we need to do so that they can still have a successful session so they could still leave feeling better than when they showed up, right? And so, you know, we're not busting out the FMS kit and doing a, a functional movement screen right on the gym floor. But I know that you two have some great strategies for shoulder screens that a, a trainer could do, a fitness professional could do with a matter of seconds just to see what's going on, right? Yeah, I mean, if the FMS works for you, tremendous. And then there's great stuff to the FMS. And I think they were one of the first groups to really try to point people outside of just looking at the body part that's problematic. Uh, so if you're having success with that, then definitely stay with that. But what we wanted to do is also look at some other areas. You know, I think a big one was, you know, let's look at cervical movement because the cervical spine, and maybe that's something can just can elaborate on. And it has such an influence over upon the shoulder. And as fitness pros, we're in this like weird place where, you know, because of the sensitivity of all the nerves and other structures that bypass that area, we don't want to be messing around too crazy with people's necks, but we have to be aware of, is there an issue or not? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, I mean, Jessica can do manual therapy. She can do things that I can't do as a professional that can deal with some of the neck issues, but I can do some stuff like in our myofascial uh, integrated movement program. I can teach people to do some things for themselves to work with that. But if you don't even know if it's an issue because you're not even looking at it, that may be a major cause of your shoulder dysfunction. And the same thing, like, you know, we talk about, you know, the hips and the core. If you're not doing screens that give you insight of, is your core stability good or is your hip mobility good? Because, you know, at a very basic level, if I'm walking around every day and my body is compensating because my core stability is off and my hips, my hip mobility is off, well, you don't think that's going to have an impact upon the shoulder structure? Of course it is. There's research that shows that, you know, it, it, when people stop, you know, having the arm swing, they can actually end up having a shoulder problem. And what, why would someone end up not swinging their arm? Well, I'll reduce core stability, it would reduce hip mobility. And all of a sudden, my arm in response doesn't swing very efficiently because it's trying to create stability. And now I have a shoulder issue, right? But if I'm not looking, I don't know that even possibly could be an issue, right? And I don't know if Jessica wants to play off that a bit. Yeah. I mean, even, even as a new grad, or even when I was going through physical therapy school, we learned dozens and dozens of orthopedic tests for the shoulder. And that's what we focused on. I went through every single test under the sun for the shoulder to try and diagnose the shoulder joint. I never looked at core stability. I didn't look at hip mobility. I rarely looked at thoracic mobility or cervical mobility. And those are all things that can heavily impact the shoulder. And like I said, shoulder pain in my experience over the past 20 years is tends to be a symptom. 
of bigger causes. So screens are something that you can easily do. I'm not asking people to diagnose. I'm asking them to take a look at someone's movement or mobility or lack of stability. These are all things that can be easily done and anybody can do. That's why screens are so great. Um, but Josh and I both have a saying like, don't do the screens unless it's going to change what you do. And that could mean what you're going to focus on, or it can mean what you're not going to do with that individual. And the great thing about screens is that you can easily recheck and see if what you're doing is actually helping that individual. Yeah. And I, I think about, you know, as we're talking about screens and just the FMS being, it is, it was a revolutionary at the time when it came out. It's still a great tool to use. When I go to the university here in, in, in lacrosse, one of the favorite things I like to do is I'll bring my FMS uh, stick for the shoulder mobility and I'll purposely get, I, I usually, I'm a little bit discriminating. I'll pick a guy because I know guys love to bench press and they're usually pretty jacked up in college and they don't have the mobility. And so I will, I will take them in front of the class and I will do the shoulder mobility screen, just like Gray Cook taught. And then, you know, surprise, surprise, it's pretty bad. <laughs> you know I mean? I somewhat pick on them too. Cause I'm just like, yeah, you're right. You don't have shoulder mobility, but then I take them on the ground. I give them an ultimate sandbag. And all of a sudden I'll, I'll even use like the perform better uh, extra large mini band too, just to give more of that feedback because I want them to be very intentional with their legs and they'll do maybe two or three dead bugs on one side, two or three dead bugs on the other side. So you know, you're holding the ultimate sandbag, you're pulling apart the handles and you're driving with the leg through the band, creating that core stability, that, that motor control. And, you know, two or three on one side, two or three on the other, they come up and significantly all the time, 100%. Shoulder mobility has always been improved. And then you just get everybody kind of like the, what just happened? Because then I talk about other strategies that we think about for in increasing the range of motion in our shoulder, right? Like foam rolling, stretching, all this stuff. I'm like, I didn't do any of that. We didn't do any pec stretches or anything. We just went right to the heart of the foundation here. And the thing I always take away from DVRT, and maybe you guys can elaborate on this too, is the proximal stability yields gives us distal mobility and that's exactly what the dead bug provides correct yeah i mean i think overall and i think jessica was alluding to this as well is that a lot of the issues that we're seeing with shoulders tend to be a, a lack of stability and i think gray cook said it well like if you have sloppiness or instability somewhere else it's going to show up as a mobility problem mm -hmm. right and so now we have all these people because thanks to social media now i'm like an old man to get off my lawn uh that you know, people, they see the shoulder mobility is not good. And the way they do, they start cranking on people's shoulders. How do you know that the shoulder joint is actually the issue? Like, not only do we have tons of tissue that's around the area, but we have other structures that can influence the way the nervous system controls that joint. So one thing I do want to comment FMS a lot on is they did do a good job of trying to educate people. Like, for example, if you go into a typical thoracic mobility movement, like you put your hand behind your head, you're kind of on the floor, you're tucked back on your heels and you're trying to rotate an elbow back. I think hopefully everyone knows what I'm talking about. Like the, you look the, like the visual is great though right now. I just want to let you know the visual, visual okay, is amazing. Like too, right? <laughs> hey. But then like, so if I try to go into thoracic rotation, let's say I'm limited, but let's say then Jessica takes me, I relax, Jessica takes me and I get way more. Well, that's a neurological issue. That's an instability issue because my joints can go there. My nervous system is just going, no, I don't think that's safe when you're moving. So the fact that I can't control and I can't reach that mobility on my own tells me it's not a joint issue. It's a nervous system issue because the nervous system is picking up something is in, unstable. And like you're talking about, the idea of proximal stability dates back to the idea of PNF, 
from the 1940s. And I, I think Jessica should share her MS patient story because it's pretty phenomenal of how powerful like these concepts are where people think of like lifts and chops and diagonal patterns, but PNF is a pretty extensive system. And the idea of creating that proximal stability, all of a sudden, like you said, it looks like it's magic. So I, I want people to understand whenever you see people on social media, and they go, so-and-so has a shoulder problem, and we did this exercise, and look, their shoulder's better, so that's what they need to do. Like, they see, that's how you train your shoulder. It's like, well, that was a neurological trick, right? Does that stick? Does that start, like, as soon as they walk around for five minutes, is it back? Because is there actually problems other places? Are they able to reinforce that through their training? So it's whenever you see the little magic tricks, the only thing I know for sure is that we have a neurological issue going on, meaning probably instability, that motor control. I can't control my body through space very effectively without it compensating. So we, instead of just attacking the shoulder, we use these diagonal patterns that PNF found, what, almost 80 years ago, over 80 years ago, to be effective in restoring human movement because we work in diagonal movements. Hopefully, everyone at this point knows we walk opposite arm and leg. We use these diagonal patterns all the time in everything we do. Even if I do a deadlift, the diagonal patterns have to link up the op opposing joints, so they're always active. But again, we really see that really emphasized in training, unless it's really advanced, wacky stuff. Like I'm trying to do a, a deadlift while I'm doing rotation. And we do that stuff, but that's super advanced to be able to separate what my thoracic spine is doing with my <laughs> lumbar spine if I can't even do a hip hinge yet. Right. So again, I think where people get lost is just the concepts and they don't know how to then take that into a progressive system. They just see exercise and want to go do the exercise. So I, I, wanted, I thought, you know, Jessica's story about her MS patient is probably one of the best illustrations of like how effective this stuff can be because even with someone has severe limitations can see significant improvements. Yeah. So um, I have been seeing this private patient for, I think going on five months now, she has a progressive form of MS. So her lesions are higher up in the cervical spine. So she's actually presenting like a spinal cord patient would. Um, so she has very limited use of her upper extremities and pretty much no use of her lower extremities. Um, her main goal working with me because she's working with some other facilities as well um, is to regain use and motor control of her upper extremities which is a huge challenge when you're talking about lesions on the spinal cord. Um, so five months, um, we're able to get her into a better sitting posture. She's starting to get some grip strength back and she's starting to get some eccentric control of her upper extremities. And a lot of what we're doing, we're using these PNF and diagonal patterns while still getting core stability. So I can get her to ground into the ground and create some stability proximally um, through putting her feet on the ground or asking her to push into the table or really kind of just create that tension throughout her body, any way that we can get that proximal stability. And we can start moving into these diagonal patterns with a little manual resistance. And she is actually able to apply some pressure. She's able to actually get some active movement. Um, you know, and it, it, it's just amazing to see because her goal is simply just to be able to drive her electric scooter or be able to feed herself, something as simple as that, that we take for granted. But you start to see improvement, moving the body through these chains and really trying to create that stability that we talked about, because ultimately that stability is going to help create that mobility. No, and that's, I, you know, and that's the education that you provide at DVRT. That's phenomenal. It's just so valuable because of the fact that you know, as a trainer back in the day, early, early 90 or early 2000s, Corey, you just saw everything as like a hardware problem. You know, somebody comes in, it's just like, you know, shoulder hurts, back hurts, knee hurts. Like, well, let's, let's focus on that body part. And through DVRT, 
and that's why our gym has been as successful as it has for almost 10 years is because we're thinking outside of that that box that the fitness industry gave us. We're actually looking at the body as how it was designed to move, how it was created to move, and how it 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 responds better to that kind of training rather than forcing it to be isolated, that everything just takes part. And especially when it comes to something as like a shoulder, how we're able to make that by, I think about the beloved bird dog exercise. You know, how many people have I gotten, again, not fixing. I mean, that's a great point that you made earlier, Josh. It's always about getting better. But how many times have I've helped people feel better in their shoulders just by putting them on all fours to teach them how to push hard into the ground? And they get done with that and they're a little sweaty. You know, after maybe 10 seconds of pushing, that was a lot of work for them to do. You know, and we take something like that for granted. We we totally skip a bird dog quadruped position and we just start putting people in planks and have them do push-ups or, you know, if you can't do a standard push-up, then we're going to take your feet out of the equation and put you on your knee and, you know, do that where... I think that could be just as detrimental to shoulder health as anything else. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think we see more and more of the trend, I know just especially Jessica as well, where people are now doing like their YWs and stuff, like they're laying on a bench, right? So you're just taking away the core and the lower body from the equation. Like, I don't have a problem with those exercises, but if you're going to do them, you should integrate the rest of the body, not take it away, right? I see more and more, we just saw... And a baseball player with a physical therapist doing some like high velocity manual therapy, he's laying on the table as the, you know, the therapist is moving his arm rapidly. He's trying to get manual. Like, why are you lying down? Right. (laughs) You're taking away so many structures that have to work together, that have to learn to work together that he needs when he plays a sport. Like we just mentioned the research, there's a lot of research that says the hips and the core are essential to overhead athletes. And yet we still have people that are sitting there focused on, right, we're going to work on external rotation. We're going to lay on this. We're going to lie on that. And you don't get people in these positions that teach the body how to be in those integrated chains, like a half kneeling position, a split stance, you know, anything we can do, even a suspension trainer or, or whatever that teaches you to plank and use the ground. And these are the, this is why I think people go, oh, and they, they keep jumping around from exercise to exercise or program to program, Right. They're like, I, I'm in this program for six months, and then this, and then the trainer switches. You know, this guy's got all the answers, and, 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 and this person, who's got all the answers? And I, obviously, no one has all the answers. But I think you got to be going down the right path of understanding principles and concepts. And if you don't understand the principles and concepts first, then the exercises don't matter because you're just going to be throwing random exercises at people. Like you said, I don't think a lot of people would think a bird dog is a shoulder exercise. Like, oh, they might go, oh, I see a little stability. But like when you're really intentional, like even that quadruped position, like you mean, you can fix the winging scapula, mm-hmm. right? And, and you do it and like, you're like, oh, that's all it is. Or you teach people how to get that neutral spine because I'm not fiddling with their pelvis. I'm just teaching them, pushing the balls in the feet and grab. And, you know, what do we hear at Corey all the time? Because you've taught a lot of course for us. Like, of course, like it can't be that simple, but then they see it be simple and they're like, but it can't, like their heads want to explode because <laughs> like be why more, doesn't anyone tell you? It's got to be more difficult than this. It's like no, it's got to be. You have to be more intentional in the way you coach and see these movements. You got to see how everything matters. The the way your pinky grabs something, the way you press your you know your foot it matters. All these things matter. So I think it's one of those things like it doesn't require complicated exercises. It just takes being mindful of what's the best exercise that person can do well and then how intentional can we make them in their performance of the movement yeah and you know you say so well of course and 
the of course. of course of course i'm sure jessica would say the same thing um is that intent drives the intensity so something as simple as a bird dog and of course what i always love about the dvrt is it's a dvrt system so the fact that you know it, a bird dog is actually a complicated exercise if you want to intentionally do it well to be able to if you're doing the opposite moving parts of your arm and leg that you start somebody in that quadruped position and then before you start extending the arm and leg that's where we bring in that ultimate sandbag so that when they're pulling on the handle, so they might just have the hand on the ground, one hand on the handle, both feet on the ground. Now we've taken away one of their bases of support and they have to stabilize through the core, avoiding that rotation. Uh, think about a lot of times when I mentioned bird dog at fitness lying down, no offense to the PT world, but I'll kind of slight a little bit on the PT world because how many times do our clients get like sheets of paper from the physical therapy and it's like a bird dog exercise, a dead bug exercise. I'm like, do you know what this is? They're like, I have no idea really what to do. I just go on the ground and I start moving and they tell me, they tell me it's good for my core and it's going to help something, my low back pain, my shoulder. So it's just when you see them light up, when you talk about the intention, like you see them as they're extending their leg, holding onto the ultimate sandbag, pushing the floor away, like their body is like quivering because of how, how, how intense the exercise is. Yeah, I mean, Jess, you know all about those. Uh, you, you have a fun time seeing the things that therapists are doing right now, right? Social media. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I should add too. I mean, if you are really working with people that have, let's say, torn rotator cuff or actual pathologies going on in the shoulder, I can tell you from experience, these isolated exercises that you continually see online are not that comfortable. They're not. They're actually quite painful to do. I have experience doing them myself. When you try to isolate the area that's actually in pain and has discomfort, you're you're almost doing yourself a disservice by not taking a more integrative approach because that takes some of the pressure off of that injured area and allows that area to start to heal versus just kind of just targeting the area that hurts and hurts and hurts. I think it's, it's becoming commonplace. If it hurts, you strengthen it you know, and, and you're like, this is the muscle. So now we got to strengthen it because it hurts. And that's where we kind of got to get away from. We need that muscle to heal and we need to support it by looking at all of the other surrounding areas, whether that's the cervical spine, the thoracic spine, the core, the hips, you name it, teaching the body to move correctly again, versus in such an isolated manner. Like I have always said, when you train the body in isolation, it's actually training dysfunction. And I will stand by that <laughs> to this day, uh, even though that I used to do all of those exercises back in the day. And, and I'm not saying there's not a place for some of those, especially right out of surgery and things like that. Um, but it, we really need to kind of be looking at the body as a whole. Yeah, you'd but want even, to integrate as quickly as you could. Even thing out of surgery, surgery you talk, you're not talking about the time. Even if you're going to do an isolated, an isolated exercise, why not put them in a position where they have to use the rest of the body? Yes. And that's the frustration we get. Like people really go out of their way to take out most of the body in, in these drills. And I'm like, what are you doing? Because again, this isn't just our opinion. This is research based. This is a ton of literature. I think Dr. Stuart McGill says it well that it, it sort of reiterates what Jessica was saying that if you're looking at a functional exercise, you should never see a maximal EMG activity of any one muscle. Because then you'd have to ask, what's happening everywhere else? Right. right. There should be like a synergy where these muscles are activating together and there shouldn't be a need to have this outrageous muscle voluntary contraction occur because when would that ever happen? When would a single muscle, because that means the muscle, a single muscle is dominating all these other muscles. 
and that, that that doesn't sound that's I think what Jessica means when she's talking about dysfunctional training. Like when would that ever occur? Especially when most of these injuries occur because of a motor control issue, not a strength issue. It's like what I've said numerous times. You can't fix a motor control issue with a strength solution. Like Jessica said, you can't go, oh, I think the super spinous is weak. So let's just target that. Why the heck is that one muscle weak? Right? Why is that one muscle like maybe just can, can talk about like an interesting social media post? She had this one gentleman like going, like just would not understand what she was trying to say. Like, like he just kept looking at all these isolated muscles and couldn't understand the concept as a physical therapist that you have to work them together. He's like, well, this muscle's weak and this muscle's weak and this muscle's weak. And she's like, you have to train them together. Like, that was a frustrating conversation to have, wasn't it, Jess? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess too, people are often concerned. Um, when you, when you show a lot of these more integrative exercises, okay. Um, is it easy to teach or if it's difficult, what if the person doesn't have the movement efficiency to perform some of these, but that, that stems from a lack of understanding how you can progress or regress an exercise that you see, whether it's through manipulating body position, holding position, the implement that you're using, you have all of these resources available. And I think sometimes people forget, right? They see one exercise and they're like, well, if I can't do that, then what am I supposed to do? And they're not understanding there's many, many ways where you can perform that movement in a way where that meets that client or that patient where they're at and what their capabilities are. And it's okay to not do it perfectly at first. People need to learn how to move and, and they have to understand that. So it might look new and it might look complex, but you need to let people go through a few reps. You need to let them start to understand what that movement really feels like. And I think people get frustrated because they see a lot of what we post and they're just like, ah, that's too hard. That's too difficult to teach. Uh, and, and it actually isn't if you understand really what's going on or, or what the proper cues are for that individual as well. It's and I think people, yeah. Uh -huh. just to like play off that though, I love when people go, that's too hard to teach. And my response is, have you ever done it? I have I have 80 year olds <laughs> doing a it. lot. Yeah. It's hard I to mean, teach. You don't know where it is. Right. I mean, so it's like because you don't know what it is, doesn't mean that equates to it's hard to teach. Right. right. And people will always ask, well, I mean, can you do this with I bet you can't do this with older clients. And, and it's funny, I work with a lot of older geriatric clients, a lot of people with really big disabilities, and I can get them to do this. Um, sometimes it's the athletes that are actually harder to get to do some of these movements. Um, but yes, like a, a lot of what I show anyone can do, and people need to start understanding that it's, it's really about teaching good movement quality and everything's going to fall into place after that. It's not about, Oh, this one muscles weak. This muscles tight. This one's shortened. This one, you know, uh, isn't firing correctly. It's really about teaching the body how to move as one and create that movement. And that's where people kind of, uh, miss out when they, when they start isolating individual joints and individual muscles and looking at all these tiny little muscles, especially when you're talking about the shoulder, you have all these small muscles. You can't isolate those. It's impossible. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm so glad, Jessica, that you brought up, you know, with DVRT, the progressions and regressions, because I can't tell you how many times in group training, you know, if we have somebody that has some underlying shoulder issues, but they're still improving, how one station, if we're doing like an overhead press with the ultimate sandbag, we'll have one person who's standing on both feet, right? So they're very stable and they have more strength doing that. And then we'll have somebody on both knees. So now we've made that more challenging by changing that body position that you mentioned earlier. 
And then we'll put somebody in a half kneeling position. So now the instability has been increased. So everybody might have the same weight, ultimate sandbag, let's just say. But because of those three different body positions, that weight now has a different perceived load to it. It's more, it's more intense because of that. And that's so great that we can create those strategies to give people that success. Because that person with a shoulder issue, that instability and the half kneeling spot might be too much on that shoulder. They're going to fall back to those compensations. So if we could put them in a stable position, and that's just where I, I truly believe DVRT separates itself from all other kind of fitness, strength, conditioning, training, because there's such a system to work with people, like you said so well, to meet them where they're at. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I don't want this to be the case. I think it's unusual in our industry. Like, and Unfortunately, because again, the responses we get from people when they see things on social media is, like Jessica said, I can't do that, or that's too difficult. Or they're like, number one, you've never, like I said, you've never done it. If I've never cooked an omelet before and I watch a chef cook a nice omelet because he can do it and I've never done it before, does that mean it's too complicated? I can never do it? Or I just haven't learned yet the concepts of how to make a good omelet, the techniques of how to make a good omelet. So when you look at an exercise, first and foremost, you should think about what is trying to be achieved with doing that movement. What are the components, right? If you break it down, like going back to cooking, I must be hungry. But like if you break down like the ingredients, right? You don't have the meal. You have the ingredients that make the meal, right? Mm -hmm. But if we don't understand the ingredients, then of course the meal doesn't make any sense to you, right? So I think that's what happens to so many uh, coaches and even clinicians is they only have the end result. They have the exercise. And they don't understand why, what is this exercise doing? If I had to take a step back, what would I take a step back first on? Would it be, you know, like you, like you mentioned, or Jessica mentioned, the body position? Should I change the body position? Should I change where the load is? Should I change, as Jessica mentioned, the, the implement I'm using? Because, I mean, I don't have any more hair to lose, but we get it all the time where we try to explain why the implements we're using matter. And someone would inevitably go, but can I use what well, you can? It just won't be as effective, right? You can do whatever you want, but just don't expect the end result to be as effective as what we're espousing. And it's so weird because, you know, Corey, you and I have had this conversation so many times. I don't know why fitness and clinicians want to demean the value of their tools. Right. I don't get it because maybe they just don't understand them well. And that's why. But your tools should be used because they do something uniquely better. Right. I'm, I'm not randomly looking around my gym going, um, we'll use that. I know exactly why I'm using that tool for the exercise I'm going to give someone. It's it's something that it does uniquely well. And when you have a whole industry going, just use whatever, like that's devaluing us as professionals. It makes, I don't know another industry that does that. Like, do you go to your car mechanic and you just use whatever tools to work on your car? And you're like, oh, whatever. No, a surgeon does a cop. You know, no one does that. A chef, like I said, we watch these chef shows all the time. And they got, they roll, what's the first thing they do? They roll, roll out their knives, right? They have very specific knives they use for everything. But in fitness, it doesn't matter. That's weird. And I think ultimately what it does is it hurts the ability of both the client and the professional to achieve the goals they both want. So ultimately, it's like people got to stop looking at the exercise and think about what's behind it. Because also, it happens when people do these crazy mobility drills. Everyone's like, oh, I got to do that. Like, I'll give you an example. Everyone's like wanting to push into walls with things. Well, a wall is an artificial stability implement, right? Yeah. Meaning, as soon as I move away from the wall, I, I have to be able to control myself. But if the wall is giving me the stability to control myself, then I'm not really controlling myself. 
<laughs> like people miss it all the time. They're like, oh, look, I'm going to push against the wall and I'm building stability. No, you're building reliance. Because you, you think they really feed off that because of the feelings, right? Like, oh, I feel how this is happening. So it must be working. You have something artificially giving you support that you normally wouldn't have. You mentioned earlier, you know, about using you know the perform by actual RME bands. We do that because we want you to learn how to use your own feet. The bands don't support you, they just tell your brain, I gotta keep pushing down on my feet. Right. Right. That's different than using a foam roller into a wall and going, I'm not pushing the wall because the wall's stable, the wall's not gonna move. Oh, look how stable I am. Well, of course it is. You're getting artificial stability that you can't then take that control over into your movement. Mm-hmm. Like I, One more example I'll give is I just saw a post, and of course it had thousands of likes, and what are you going to do? This guy's <laughs> talking about like hip airplanes, right? You know, like, you know, where you're yeah. going to something and you're twisting. And he's like, oh, you should always hold on when you do hip airplanes because look how much better your mobility is when you're holding on versus like when you're standing on your own and trying to do it, you can't get that much mobility. I'm like, that's called motor control. Who cares how much mobility I can have when I'm holding on if it doesn't translate to when I'm not holding on? Yeah. Is that the reason I'm training mobility? So again, I just think there's just so much unfortunate, confusing information on the internet that a lot of people don't know what direction to go. And that's why, you know, I think like you said, a system is important because what we're trying to do is not tell you do this exercise, use this tool. We're trying to give you a path. Like go this direction. And, and if you have these variables and these concepts to work with, you're going to be able to find what is the right exercise, what is the right tool and all those things. Man, I feel like you're like the little kid in the crowd that's yelling out the emperor has no clothes. Like, <laughs> <you're just> like <laughs> that's where I'm at with you right now. You're just exposing everything. Um, I'm more like we got to the Star Wars reference. I'm like, and in the prequels, I'm like, that's Palpatine. Why can't anyone see that? <laughs> there, It's the evil one. Yeah. Um, it's shaking okay. her head for everyone. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now here we are. We've got all this information. And I mean, you know, we've got, let's be honest. I mean, we have restoration. We have DVRT restoration. We have DVRT level one and two certifications. Um, boy, I know there's other things. We got PKM, progressive kettlebell movement, all the things. People can go online and they can buy all these programs too. But there's something special coming down the pipe work. You guys are going to be having a, a six week. Is it six or four weeks? I forget. Six weeks. Six weeks. That's 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 a great amount of time to spend with the both of you and (laughs) everybody else as we can learn. So this is an opportunity for fitness professionals, anybody that's kind of injured, but also interested in shoulders things like we just talked about to deep dive into this more with you, right? Yeah, this is, this is open to anyone. I think that was one of the biggest questions is, you know, I, am I going to be able to follow this? Is this going to be at my level? You know, is this for people that, you know, are more clinical? No, this is for everyone. Um, We're going to dive into a lot of the practical application of exercise um, with the emphasis on the shoulder, of course, but obviously we're going to take that integrative approach that we've talked about and really try and show people how they can improve their shoulder health and function. Yeah. I mean, it was the reason we want to do this was because it's great when you buy a program, of course, don't, don't get me wrong. It's going to get a lot of information, but what happens when you have a question or like you want to, you know, go, you're working with at the same pace, you're going through the same process going, Oh, what about this? And what about that? So we want to give people an opportunity to, you know, if you are a clinician, ask Jessica, a question or you know if you're a coach or even just say a person that likes to work out but you're having some issues 
be able to go, hey, when I do what you guys are showing me, I have this problem or this is happening and how do I fix that? But more importantly too, we want people to like, we want to walk with them through the the process, right? We start off with the screens. Then we do have two weeks of mobility training because we're going to show different two different forms. One that focuses more on our myofascial integrated movement system and more of just how we use like our restoration uh, system to improve mobility. And then we go into the stability, the strength, and the, like the performance aspect. So uh, what we want people to do is see like mostly what are the concepts and what are the principles, what are the lessons you should be taking away from each of those sections that you can be applied? Yes, there's going to be exercises, but not everyone's going to be able to do every exercise, right? We only have an hour within each of those uh, lessons. But if you can come away with an understanding of why we're doing it, how we're doing it, what the intention is behind doing it, you're going to be able to take any information we provide and make it make sense for you. And hopefully see that progress, What, like you said, of being better. And maybe you're going to have these aha moments of going, oh my God, if I just did that, and I know, Corey, you're like the master of this with your clients. Like, if I just do that one thing, wow, what a change that is. That at least gives us confidence that we're moving in the right direction and that information will help you keep proceeding and make sense of like, what information should I be following that makes sense and how I improve the body, the way it performs and the, and the results I get in my mobility and stability and overall well-being. Wow. And so where can they go to sign up for something like this? So we have it on our website at DVRT Fitness. If you go to our online courses, you'll be able to find it. We're also getting tons of support from Perform Better. So if you guys are interested, you can get the Perform Better website. It's just performbetter.com. Uh, has the information as well. We have a Q&A page, I think, on our uh, website as well. And Jessica can always send it out to people if they knew. And if you can't make the actual live classes, uh, we have everyone's going to get the recordings uh, that they can always have access to. And we also have a Facebook group that people are welcome to join in that we carefully monitor. It's private. That if you watch a lesson, you can ask questions there. We'll make sure we address them during the next lesson or that we respond to you individually so that we want everyone to feel like they come away with such a better understanding of how to approach a lot of these shoulder issues. And kind of like what Jessica said too, what not to be doing, like what's kind of a waste of your time? What's not going to be as productive? Where should you be emphasizing a lot of your efforts towards? And, you know, for the people out there that are just crazy busy, we're just talking about one hour a week, right? That's when we're meeting is the one hour. Yeah, week. you know, it's funny. We just saw like uh, another organization and God bless everyone for trying to give education out more accessibly. So I don't like they had like five, four hour sessions. I'm like, that's a lot to ask people to commit to. <laughs> so we just instead of asking people to take a whole day off because we know people are still trying to work with clients and patients and so forth. It's just one hour a week. Our first one's going to be January 18th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the week before that, we're going to take a poll when we close down registration and see if that's the best day of the week and time that works for everybody. We have people from all over the world attending, so it's not like we're going to be able to accommodate everybody, but we're going to do our best to try to accommodate the most people. And we'll give people a big heads up on when all those lessons are going to be rolling out. We're not going to be changing it last minute on people or anything like that. So everyone's going to be able to try to manage their schedules as best as possible. Well, and if I could just plug in too, because if DVRT had a fan club, you know I would be the president, yeah. um, is... I'm no stranger to this. I've signed up, right? Because I'm just committed to making better education-wise to help our clients. But I was a part of the 12-week low back course that you put out. I was a part of the 
four-week MIM masterclass that you put out. And so for anybody that might be on the fence, they're just like, I tell you what, you are going to be included. I mean, that's the great part about this is the community aspect of this, the conversations that happen between you, Jess, and the rest of the group, the Facebook um, groups too, people asking these questions that it's just, and of course you come back and you answer these questions, whether through the Facebook or just the next week's event. I mean, you're going to get your questions answered. You're going to feel more empowered wherever you are, a fitness professional, clinician, just a general population person that wants to know more about this. You're going to have such a better understanding of the concepts and the principles that you can start day one making those changes in your workout, in your clients' workouts to, to create better for them. Yeah. And it's also a great opportunity to connect with like coaches like yourself, right? That, you know, have worked with so many you know, your whole gym, you know, we're so humbled that your whole gym is kind of, you know, focused around the con concepts and principles that we teach and that the success we have. So it's like, you know, hey, Corey, can you do this in a group training session? And then someone like Corey can jump on and go, like, yeah, this is how I do it, right? Like this is how, how we actually Im implement it because it's so cool to see it, you know, utilized by such great coaches like yourself that, you know, we can put out the information and we've had success with our clients, but like we wanted to see that it, you don't have to be Jessica or myself to have success. That this is stuff that you can take and like, you know, we always talk about maybe you start slowly on, maybe there's going to be a little bit of a brain freeze type feeling because you're going to get a little brain overload, but it's just, we're going to really emphasize the concepts and principles. So when we go through the exercise, it's like the little details that are going to make all the differences and how that carries over to everything else that you do. And I think, you know, the benefit of obviously having the one day a week is for the busy schedule, but you have enough time, you have seven days to kind of review the material practice, get better so that when week two comes, maybe you have those questions because unlike our friends on social media that never tried anything, now you've been trying, now you create those questions, right? Yeah. I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all taken a course. We're like, oh, okay, I can't, can't wait till Monday to do it. You know, try everything. Monday comes around and they're like, oh, this doesn't feel the same. Or this didn't work the right. And like, but we're past the course. So we don't have an opportunity to really engage again and like get those questions answered. So that's, that's another reason we wanted to do in this manner. So hopefully every week, people at least are trying a few of the movements, if not all of them. We're not going to give you 10 movements because we want to take our time uh, and make sure that people get a chance to understand them, but also try them while we're actually on in the class too. If you can't, that's fine. But we want to give people an opportunity to, again, like you said, practice it, try to implement it, go, I tried this with my client. It didn't work. What would be a modification or what else should I be doing? And it might be a challenge to answer everybody at once, but we'll get to everyone in one form or another. Now, for any of our eager listeners, is there any chance that there could be a Jim and Dwight sighting within these uh, live events? <laughs> Well, well you, can, you can see behind me. Jessica. <laughs> There's strong chances are if Jessica and I are in the same room at the same time, there will be dogs entering this, and they might be the bigger uh, celebrity than either one of us. Yeah, they, always the like they always seem but, like it. They always seem like it. We appreciate you, Corey, and we appreciate you know everyone that you know is interested in this program. We have a large number of different types of professionals and just people interested uh, in fitness that are going to be attending. So we're excited to be working with everybody. And like I said, really my passion, I know Jessica's passion too, is helping people help others get better. Mm -hmm. And so we really think this will be a forum for people to start that process and really get some valuable information. Well, and I'm going to make sure to all those links that you mentioned before, those are going to be in the show notes. So, you know, people can just, if they're listening to the podcast, boom, there it is right there. Um, I got to close with a movie reference, and I'm so sorry about oh, this. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's only for Jessica, because I'm cool with it. Well, it's kind of like the, uh, the something about Mary, you know? What was it, the eight-minute abs or the seven-minute abs? McCoy, you got something on your ear. 
Oh, right. It's a uh, shampoo. It's shampoo. <laughs> I was I was showering before I showed up today. Uh, I was thinking, you know, six weeks, but maybe we can make a seven week where all of us just sit out, sit down and watch like your omelet cooking show, because this sounds amazing. <laughs> so six I weeks of shoulder. Way better cook. She's the way better. We have thought about like a, a top secret week seven uh, where we might talk about programming and just how you integrate because usually that ends up being questions. So if that's a question that doesn't feel answered at the end, uh, or we just do general Q&A, because we don't want people walking away feeling like, but I didn't get to ask this, yeah. or I don't feel confident doing that. And confidence, obviously, and Corey, I mean, you can sort of speak to this, is you yourself practicing a lot of the stuff for quite some time. Like, you do such a great job of like, I know when you learn something, you do it yourself for a while, and then you slowly try to, you know, get it out to your clients. You don't, don't just take a day one and go, we're going to change everything we're doing. Here we go. And then you get overwhelmed and your clients get overwhelmed. So I, I think you're kind of the model that we want people to sort of use when they start actually using the information. I need to have you on more often because you just make me feel so much better about myself. You're <laughs> <laughs> um, about to go home. So that'll, that'll be fixed. Yes. The, uh, the humility will show up, but I'll still be, I'll have mobility, but there will be humility right. as well. Um, all right, so I think I think we've covered a lot of stuff. We've got people ready. As I mentioned, all those links will be in the show notes. And I mean, what a great opportunity for you to hang out with a lot of the DVRT community and learn and get better. I mean, it's just such a great supportive community and to be able to help those people that you are in charge of helping. So uh, Josh and Jess, I really appreciate you coming on and gracing us with your appearance and your voices on this podcast. I'm even just better, not me. Did I say Josh too? I, I just meant Jessica. <laughs> it's just like a habit. It's a habit, Josh and Jess. I appreciate um, being included by now. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you you're a very nice person too. You're special. You um, <laughs> special. <laughs> all right. So with all of that, all right, all my friends, I hope to see you at this course because it's going to be amazing. But until the next time that we speak, Godspeed. <laughs>